biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel Gu, and I'm joined by Christina and Jacob Wolf today on the desk with Tyler coming in for the second half to talk League of Legends. Um, how you guys doing? Doing okay. I uh, 11 days on the road, but I am uh, on the way to my weight goal in terms of workout, so I'm very happy with that. What about you, Christina? Um, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm actually a little bit sad about Asheron's Call. Do you know Asheron's Call? What is that? Uh, it was It's one of the first, if, if not the first, MMORPGs ever released uh, in 1999, and I have a friend who worked on it, and it is now shutting its doors. It's just... Not the world is not going to exist anymore. And oh no, really? Yeah, like seventeen years, man. You know, it's it's it just like tugs at my heartstrings. I feel really bad that I like. I, I felt really bad when we were talking about it earlier because I had never played the game. But now I realize why I didn't play the game because I was two when that came out. So you know, take a yeah, moment. Jacob, you're a baby. <laughs> you're, you're definitely a baby. But yeah, so shout out to Asheron's Call, to Dan Shirless, and to everybody who worked on it or, or played it because that was definitely one of the trail trailblazers for the gaming industry. Oh, interesting. Well, we learn something new every day. But let's dive right into it because the E-League Major happened this weekend, which was really crazy because it broke 1 million in concurrent viewers. Woo! Yep. And at one point, I remember it was 1 million and 20,000 or more, something yeah. like that. And this isn't the first time an esports event has broken 1 million viewers, but it's still a really validating and um, great moment for esports. Wasn't it the first time that an individual Twitch channel has broken a million concurrence? Like I believe I, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, was it really? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it, it was uh like it, it was such an experience, and everybody was so happy like when that happened like around around the event, uh, and then, like obviously we were waiting for final ratings to come in over like the next three days. But between Twitch, uh, TBS, the Chinese streams that they had licensed out to, so people in China could watch, I'm probably expecting like the concurrent to be like around two million, okay, like, two well, and a half ish. Well, working off that, um, oh. I want to ask you, Christina. Obviously, this is um pretty momentous then so what do you think this means for esports moving forward well it's uh i think it's only a good thing that we we have more and more of these really large numbers especially for like particular streams i mean obviously the league of legends world championship had a higher total peak concurrent viewership in the finals but that was spread out over very many streams so the fact that you know, that an event like this can draw that much attention to just this one outlet never mind you know the rest of them is uh, is really exciting um in terms of you know adver advertisers and sponsorship opportunities um in terms of yeah just the just the the numbers that we can talk about as an industry when people are like, hey, what is this esports thing? Yeah, absolutely. And Jacob, you were there to cover E-League. Um, so what was that like in person? Oh, it must have been so cool. Yeah, it was really, really exciting. Um, I like went out and, and did some photography like on my phone from the pit uh, to like do some some posts on our like now platform, which is like live tweeting for those that don't know. Uh, and, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, fans were really hype. I know I put a video on Twitter that was like them going, let's go VP and let's go Astralis. And they were like chanting back and forth and it was just really loud. And it, re it really meant a lot to me because I grew up uh, around the venue that it was at. Like I'm originally from Atlanta. So, uh, you know, I went and saw the Nutcracker there almost every year. 
uh, growing up because it was like the monumental show. But I've also seen like other theater shows there from like the earliest I can remember. It was like four or five years old. And now you're um, watching esports. Yeah, there. and so now I'm watching esports there. So like there was something I wrote about in one of the articles is how how momentous that was because like sports doesn't really happen at the box theater, and the fact that it did was like it meant something. So um, and also like I think mission accomplished on Valve's behalf because. When they were looking to license this major a couple months ago, it was like between E League and DreamHack, and one of E League's big selling points was that they could put it on television. And, and I their think production value is just it's really high. Yeah, uh, shout outs to uh, Jason over at E League, who is like a uh, he's formerly of Gottfrag and MLG and was a producer, and that that guy is incredible. Like he, the job he did, um, like I, and I got to listen to a little bit of his production comments. This was funny because we had a, uh, one of the giant cameras in the press room. Uh, and there were headphones, and it was a, it was like the live stream from the production, so I could hear him like making all the production calls too, like audibly, and uh, that was really interesting. He was on top of it; like they they did a really really great job. Well, yeah, let's um, relive the moment and let's retrace Astralis's journey from kind of the beginning. Um, they're one of the only player made organizations, correct? Yeah, in a way. I mean, they're they're not entirely player owned, but mm-hmm. yeah, they they do have uh, player equity that equals out. I think around thirteen uh, percent total for the players. And this so. is the first time they made the grand final of a major. Correct. Yeah, they've always bottomed out either in quarters or semis. Uh, and and to be frank, it's it's not just about their time as Australis. Uh, they this is the first time they've ever made a a final. Uh, during the past like four years of their time, which is when they were independent, when they were under Copenhagen Wolves, when they were under Dignitas, and when they were under TSM and Astralis. So, and by they, you mean like the core of the team? Yeah, right? which is Zipnix, uh, Dupree, and Device. When was Astralis created or founded? Uh, Astralis as an organization was founded at the beginning of 2016 because they left TSM at the end of right. 2015. Right. Uh, but Astralis as a team, like the, those three plus uh, Kerrigan and Cajun B, I believe was 20. Late 2013, early 2014. And Glive joined last fall, right? Yeah, Glive joined last fall and KRB joined last summer. So, um, or Glaive, rather. Uh, oh, my yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They joined, they joined uh, in summer and fall, respectively, in place of uh, Cajun B was replaced by KRB. Uh, it was a trade between Team Dignitas and Astralis. And then uh, Glaive was a pickup from Heroic, which is uh, partially owned by Refresh, which is also the partial owner of Astralis. So. Right. So for anyone who didn't watch the finals, um, I'm just going to recap it really quick. So after both teams secured a win in the best of three, um, there was a 13-7 scoreline for the third game that was in um, Virtus Pro's favor. So it seemed like kind of the end for Astralis until they managed to take every single round to flip the score 16-14, which was pretty amazing. Um, and it was incredible because it wasn't just like these flashy outplays they played really methodically and they had great shot calling from glaive and they just seemed like the overall better team at that point there was one call that really stuck out to me in that final where um basically it was two on two uh left and um Ver- or, uh, Virtus was on ct side for overpass and astralis was on t side for overpass and uh it was zipnix and i believe it was zipnix and dupree who were left for astralis and uh, Dupree essentially made the call. I was talking to them about this. Dupree made the call that he wanted to uh, fake them out like they were going to run over to A uh, through the connector between A and B, then go to the other bomb site. And he started like running so it would because the big thing in Counter Strike is sound, right? Like you hear where you hear footsteps through like walls and stuff. You don't see them, but you can hear them, and and you only see them when they're in front of you. Um, so. 
basically uh, he started running and kind of like faked Virtus Pro out, and they all both their two members rotated A, thinking they would show up at a bomb site, and then uh, and then both. Zipnix and Apri were both still alive, and they made like the really silent move over to B and won the round. And that was like, uh, I believe that was the second map. So that was a pretty big, pretty big turning point. Like that was a moment, a huge momentum change. The fact and the crowd, uh, Zipnix said, you know, I could hear the crowd like making some noise, and then so I thought, you know, uh, I thought maybe like we had somebody behind us or something, but uh, the crowd was just like, <gasps> like just like everybody was like really excited and just like like on the edge of their seats, and then they picked them out, and then they won the round, which was just crazy. Really good gameplay from from both teams, and Astralis managed to edge it out. Yeah, can we can we take a step back here and just talk about like these two teams and how awesome it was that they met in the grand finals? I mean, I I'm a Virtus Pro fan, definitely like. Um, I, I realize here that it was a it was a bit a little bit of like a David and Goliath, and you know you want to you want to root for the underdog and whatever. But I just uh, I just feel like Virtus Pro in a lot of ways is just this team that is like the heart of Counter Strike, you know. And it was also really awesome to see Astralis as this like very this you know this this player led team come up to meet them. It it just felt it felt very hearteningly Counter Strikey to me. Yeah, I mean, overall, like, the, the biggest thing was that the quarterfinal was uh, where, so the, the group stages, the two teams that came out uh, undefeated in groups were Novice Vincere and mm-hmm. Virtus Pro. Um, and Astralis kind of struggled and lost some games that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, they lost to Godsent, which is also owned by the same parent organization, but that's besides the point. Uh, anyway, they lost to Godsent. Uh, and so then they fought their way back out, and the first person they get placed with in their bracket is Novice Vincere. In the quarterfinals, which, uh, going into it, myself included, had uh, a lot of people had picked Nottis Vincere to win that, and then probably go on to win the whole tournament. So then Astralis beat Nottis Vincere, and then it was like, you know, Fnatic and Gambit just weren't nearly as close as Astralis uh, and Nottis Vincere were in terms of skill. And then, obviously, like, Virtus Pro, not to, like, take away from them because some of their matches were really close, but Virtus Pro relatively had, like, a pretty easy side of the bracket because you have an SK you have an SK Gaming with a stand-in, which is certainly not nearly as good as they'll be when they integrate Phelps, their new player. Yeah, um, the and, feeling yeah. I got was a lot of people actually expected Virtus Pro to take the tournament um, because they were on a, an easier side of the bracket, and at one point... I heard reports of E-League accidentally tweeting out that Virtus Pro had won the yeah, finals. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really bad. Yeah, um, so that was um, a little confusing. And they tweeted out a Periscope link as well, which is kind of weird. That, that was right before Astralis turned it around on the third map. So, um, you know, Oops. overall, I think I think the, the largest prediction, though, was that whoever won the quarterfinal, actually, on the top side of the bracket, which was Astralis and Otis Vincere, whoever won that would win the tournament. Uh, and then when we actually got to the final, my prediction was 2-1 going into it. So I, I was right in that regard. So, uh, like, Virtus Pro certainly had a chance, uh, like a very good chance of winning mm-hmm. it. But I think it was really dependent. Like, whoever won that top quarterfinal, the first quarterfinal of the, of the weekend, probably would win the whole thing between right. Navi and Astralis. Let's talk more about Glaive because I think he's kind of an interesting player. And you actually got the chance to sit down and talk with him. Um what is he like, and what role does he bring to the table for Astralis? So he is actually um, one of the more inexperienced players on this team in terms of performance. He was on Heroic, which was an amateur Danish team, uh, or rather, they primarily Danish, and they were mixed. It was the team that SK Gaming had um, before uh, everything happened with uh, Luminosity, so it was the team that they dumped in favor of, of getting Luminosity, the Luminosity team. Um, and Glaive is just, uh, like, even though he's unexperienced, he seems very intelligent. 
Um, and he seems like he's really ha- uh, done a lot for this team. And in addition to like they obviously they talked a lot this weekend about their sports psychologist who has worked with like Olympians and um, the Finnish national hockey team. What's and, her name? Uh, Mia Stelberg. Yeah. And um, they talked a lot about her. Uh, and overall, like it just seemed like they're starting to learn how to believe in Glaive more. And uh, the you know the really first showing of that was in December when they won the esports championship series uh, over Optic, um, and obviously they had taken second to Optic a month prior at the E League season two finals, um, and so then coming into this it kind of just seemed like they trusted Glaive more. They had worked out more of their problems with Mia, and and they just seemed like they could overcome a lot of things. It, the biggest change to me from watching Astralis when they first made changes versus watching Astralis now four months later. Um, to me, the biggest change was the fact that when they lost a round that they probably should have won, they didn't tilt. Like they, mm-hmm. they powered through it and they kept their head up. Like there was one, there was one um, round where I believe Device screwed up something really badly, uh, and Zonic like just went over to him and was just like, "It's okay," and like put his and Zonic's their coach, so uh, Zonic went over to him and like put his hand on his head and was like, "It's okay, we'll like bounce back from this." Yeah, Don't I worry. think it, I think it's interesting that you bring up the um, sports psychologist because. Um, I think we're entering a really interesting part of esport, which is we're bringing more of these professionals in to kind of mentor these athletes. And right. I think that's really important in terms of making it more professional and getting, I mean, Astralis is really special because they're sponsored by Audi now. And it was interesting in your article that um, I think it was Glaive who mentioned that they didn't care if they won or something. They oh, just that was Zipnix, yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry. Yeah. They just wanted to make their sponsor happy and it was more like symbolic more than anything. Yeah, that and that deal will probably get renewed. It's not a very long sponsorship deal, so I expect that it gets renewed, especially if they win DreamHack Masters uh, in Vegas as well. And I, I think overall, just to clarify, we're not um, we're not exactly talking about uh, we're not exactly talking about like sports sports psychologists or esports psychologists, which has become a, a thing. We're talking about people who really are from the outside industry in the sports world that are, are learning more about esports and coming in, like this this lady that works with Astralis. Yeah, yeah this is this all has to be changing the field of yeah. you know, sports psychology and, and that study of mentality in these kind of very high-pressure, competitive environments. Yeah, and it's only good. I mean, the games can only get better from here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that that was actually one of the better series in Counter-Strike. Probably the best major final uh, oh. of all time. Awesome. So. Well, we're going to take a short break right now, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about League of Legends. Is FlyQuest the real deal, or will Cloud9 continue their reign of domination? Find out when we come back. <laughs> Getting back to the ESPN Esports podcast. Uh, Tyler, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm a huge Bachelor fan. I'm, I'm very into the season. Oh my god! Name one person Can't on the Bachelor. Can't wait to delve into it. Tyler, can you name one person on the Bachelor? Turin. She's a star. Oh, of you do watch? Yes, Team Corn. Stop. Get okay. me out of this. All right, all right. Let's um. Let's Tyler get- is never invited back to the podcast ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the next LCS team. She's gonna buy an LCS team next season. I'm moving. I'm moving to another podcast as this becomes a bachelor <laughs> bachelor podcast. All right. Well, let's let's dive into it because there's a lot to talk about. Um, let's start with FlyQuest, our favorite team. Are they exceeding expectations? It's kind of I. I'm always kind of speechless when I talk about this team because. At the beginning of this podcast, or before the season even started, we just kind of like thought this was a team that was going to end up at the bottom of the rankings, and somehow are, they're doing 
a lot better. I think they'll still be at the bottom of the rankings, but I'll think that, I think they'll be like seventh or eighth. What do you think, Tyler? I don't think they'll be top four. I think they'll probably fit around fifth or sixth. I think the big difference for FlyQuest is that Moon has been absolutely amazing this season. He's been the best jungler in the league stats-wise. It's been him and Inori on Phoenix One. Just he's, take a second played, to realize what you just said, by the way. Yeah, Moon is Moon and Inori are the best two junglers statistically in the NLCS, while Rainover is, like, the worst. So it's all topsy-turvy. Yeah, Tyler, let's talk more about Moon because you did that really excellent piece where um, Moon talked about his rivalry with Dardoch, and Moon was sort of forgotten because Dardoch had his claim to fame so early on on Team Liquid, and Moon kind of like fell into the shadows. Um, What basically, like, why why is he so resurgent now? What's up with him? Was Moon eclipsed by Dardoch? Oh my gosh, that was actually pretty amazing. (laughs) Go on. The biggest thing he talked about was that it's confidence. It's confidence, confidence, confidence. When Darda came in the league, he, he gave no Fs. He, 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 he trash-talked. He was confident. He, he had no fear when going into the jungle. He wanted to make plays, and he made plays. Moon, when he joined uh, Energy, he was on a team with GBM, Impact, a lot of veteran players. So he was you know, cautious. He was nervous. He didn't want to make those big plays. Now that he's on FlyQuest and he has someone like Hyde directing him, he's going full out and he's showing his talent at full potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Hyde is really integral to FlyQuest's success this early on in the season. Um, I don't want to discredit FlyQuest because they've had a lot of time to grow together. Um, Hyde is a veteran and he's had years of shot calling experience, like even at Worlds. Man, I got to love that narrative. Um, but either way, I mean, every narrative has a little bit of truth. So. I just think that High has brought this team to where it is now, and it's up to him to decide where it'll go from here. I'll be honest. I think that Moon has been in a really terrible position on the past two teams. Um, I think that Energy, overall, there were a lot of internal issues in between uh, a few players, notably Impact and Alltech, for a lot of necessary or unnecessary reasons to say. Uh, but I think that... Energy uh, during his time on that team was a mess and something that he could not win uh, as a player. Like, he couldn't just not... Yeah, like, I can understand that his confidence was racked on an, on a team like Energy. Um, and then on Liquid, I think that he was thrown in a position again where he can't succeed. That team is was known, uh, at least until recently, was known for its attitude problems. And, and overall, like, you know, the whole Dardock situation and between Loco and Dardock and, and uh, Piglet, like... Being thrown into that doesn't help you either. I think that this is finally a chance, even though FlyQuest is not really great at managing their money currently, uh, I think that FlyQuest is a position where Moon can learn because he's with some veterans, and I think he's in a position where he can finally succeed. Right. Well, I don't want to spend too much time on FlyQuest because we have a lot of teams to get through. Um, The next team I want to talk about is Immortals, which is sort of the team that has the perfect pieces, but they're just failing to meet expectations. Uh, Tyler, could you give us a little insight into what's going on? They're a team that's practiced like for three weeks. They had <clears throat> they had little to no practice before the first week of LCS because of Ole's visa issues. Uh, a lot of people are saying Immortals, they're not very good. They're an eighth, ninth, tenth best team in the league. And I'm like, we really don't know. I mean, they're two and two, which is quite amazing, even though like Flame and Pole Belter have a combined almost 100 deaths between the two through the first two weeks. Like, 
their two solo laners have been terrible in, in a sense of statistically. Like, I think Paul Belter and Flame have both had their glimpses of, you know, being really good players, but they've played really badly the last two weeks, and they're 2-2. Two and two. And they should have beaten TSM 2-0, but they had bad shot calling in the late game. So I think Immortals, on just pure town alone, can win and can, you know, compete for the playoffs. But if they get any semblance of coordination and start working together as a team, they can be a top four team. I don't – I think they're a talented team, and especially if Dardock, who's, who's taking up a much bigger leadership role on the team. For sure, and you get to work with Immortals pretty closely, so can you give us some insight in, like, what the team dynamic is like inside the team house? Well, I haven't been around them with Ole, but with when I've been around them with, you know, Flame, Dardock, they, they all seem like they get up – they get along together fine. There's, they're they're happy. They, they you know hang out. They're they're good guys. Like a lot of people are like, oh, Flame and Dardog are toxic or all this, but they they're just you know they're. I think it's just that they they try so hard to win that when they're around people that show any weakness at all, they get angry. And I think that that's a good thing for mortals. You want players who want to win, and I and I think after two weeks. Dardock and Flame and Ole and Pole Belter and even Cody Sun aren't going to be happy with the results. And I, I, I think it's going to be like an Echo Fox situation where everyone makes fun of them one week and then next week they show up and they're like, oh, wow, they're not bad actually. Maybe we should have, you know, waited more than two games. Right. It's a, it's a lot of instant reactions in, in the League of Legends scene and esports in general. Jacob, what do you think? I think that um, Immortals is a team that has a really, really high upside, and I'm going to stick to that. I think that, yes, not having OA for the first couple of weeks of scrims before the season was really detrimental. Um, and I think that this team this team has always, to me, since they've kind of formed and adopted this roster, this team has always been about uh, their ability to mesh more than their ability to be uh, to play at a high level because I think every player on this team is it is capable I think it's a big ask, uh, but not an impossible ask of like Robert Yip and the people that work um, in the management and uh, player development of this team. I think it's very important that those people, if they do their jobs correctly and that the players are well receiving of of their advice, uh, I think the team can actually be very good. But I think it is a long play, and I think that this will not be something that comes uh, in the next like few weeks i think it's something that comes either towards the end of this split or during next split like i think it's i think it's a long play for immortals yeah i think that immortals definitely has an infrastructure to succeed they have i mean they have like these really fun team bonding exercises where they what was that keanu reeves movie that they went out to go see together they all got dressed up for the movie john wick too yes yes uh it's because it's produced by the you know yeah. one of their well, co-owners yeah i but figured for... but it's still a good chance for them to go out and see each other in a casual setting where they're not always in high pressure situations to perform and yeah, I think they have the infrastructure to be a really good team by the end of the split. I almost wonder if the Immortals, uh, for that team specifically, if the Team Liquid method would work for them where they like live in different apartments and then have an office that they play at. Like, I wonder if that would be something that would work well for this team because I feel like this team needs space. Yeah, right? I think like, that's kind of the trend we're seeing in LCS. And Christina, you can add on if you have any insight. But um, yeah, there are teams like TSM and CLG who work separately from an office space and their um, sleeping space, which is, like, a good separation of professional work life and, like, personal work life. Yeah, definitely. I, I think one of the 
big things that we're learning you know, as an industry and especially in League of Legends where Korea is so prominent is that you can't just like take every every idea from Korea wholesale and expect that that's the perfect thing for esports in a particular region or or country or for a particular team you know in in the west we have like especially in america there's the sense that you know you want your own space and individualism and all of that so it's and like a lot of our institutions are built around that so it's not really surprising to me that we're starting to see more experimentation with this and that actually works out better in some cases right um but yeah let's move on to the next team which is phoenix one and um, in my outline, I wrote, are Phoenix One legit? I pass this question off to you, Tyler. Yes, they're very much legit because here, here is something that many people might not know that their Koreans are very good at English. Like uh, Arrow, I interviewed him his I love first Arrow. game. After his first game, uh, we went to a room to do an interview. They had the translator of them. He didn't need the translator. He, he he used the translator once or twice to get, you know, specifics on my questioning, but he answered all in English very well. It was I was able to translate it perfectly. He he was very straightforward, gave great answers, and he's a great personality. And the same thing with Ryu. Like, these guys don't need any help with communication. They already have a good basis of communication, which we saw last year with Immortals when you have two Koreans who have a good connection together and can communicate with the rest of the team they can flat out just destroy teams. And I think we saw that last week with them versus TL. They cleanly just swept them aside. And they're looking like a top two, top three team right now in the league. Yeah, and another jungler you brought up was Inori, who's on Phoenix One. And could you kind of tell us what he brings to the team that makes him so important to the game? Inori should never get Rengar because... He's going <laughs> to kill you if, if you ever give him Rengar, and teams keep giving him Rengar, Rengar. And it's just that in this meta, I think the North American junglers, the homegrown talent like Moon, uh, Dardoch, Akkadian, Minori, um, they're doing really well because they're kill-first junglers. They're, we're gonna, they're very good on mechanically intensive junglers. While you see guys like Lyra, Rainover, um, Chaser, they're more farm-oriented, more you know, assist-oriented, you know, they, they prop up the carries. So in a meta where it's all about, you know, junglers carrying, you see Rainover, who has like a 2.2 KDA, who's getting blown out in games against guys like Inori, who's just one step ahead of him at all times. And it's a very interesting scenario right now. Right, and I think that one jungler who's kind of been missing from the conversation is Ix Smithy. Um, he was one of the best junglers last year, and he's been sort of, not really mentioned that much or talked about recently. And I think that has to do with the fact that CLG has been having a ton of problems this season. Or maybe maybe they're not. Maybe they'll pull some wins out of the bag like they always do mid-season and late season. Um, but what's up with CLG? Like, when are they going to find their groove? Or if will they ever find their groove? Uh, for me, <laughs> CLG is their team that I will never bet against. Like, as we saw last week, they were 1-2. and two. They looked terrible in their first three matches, and they barely lost to C9. They gave C9 the best match they, they've had in the entire season. So when CLG clicks, when they get the right composition and they're in the right state of mind, they can beat any team in NA. But when they're not on and they, you know, slip up or don't draft well or they're not completely going, like if Huey makes a few mistakes, 
the team is like an eighth, seventh, seventh, eighth best team in the league. They have very, they have a really high ceiling, but a very low floor too. Right. Um, yeah, it's a long season, and while the first two weeks might be indicative of some potential problems, I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's a fatalistic predictor of like how the rest of the season's going to pan out for CLG. Um, what do you think, Jacob? I think that uh, I agree with Tyler in the fact that their floor is really low, and I think that people are starting to realize uh, more and more, especially in the community and their perception of player skill. I think that people are starting to realize that CLG is not nearly as good as people think that they are, and that uh, their their one up was that all of them meshed well together, which I think is a, a undervalued uh, perspective when it comes to team composition in esports. Um, and you know that's always been their thing is that they that they got along and that they um, that they like played well with one another. But I think that there are a lot more teams that are starting to figure out how to do that, and I think that C nine is like a great example. Um, I think that the C9 players get along well with with each other. I think the Phoenix 1 players are, are getting to that point. I think the Dugnatoss players are also getting to that point. So I, I think it's, I think now, you know, it may actually be time for a roster change in CLG after this season, or after this split, rather. Um, I think, obviously, he is the one person that everyone criticizes, and I think that criticism is pretty fair. I think that overall CLG needs needs some work, and I think that this might just not be their split. And actually, speaking of Cloud9, that brings us to our final topic. Um, is Cloud9 the new TSM? What do you think, Christina? Well, given that Double Lift isn't on TSM right now, and Double Lift was uh, a much heralded and appreciated or hated uh, part of TSM, um, seems that there needs to be a new TSM, and Cloud9 is doing really excellent things. Uh, I have, I think two cloud nine players on my on my fantasy lcs team and i'm i'm proud of them nice which ones do you have um oh maybe it's like i have two phoenix one i know i have a nori i'm, I'm pretty happy with a nori pretty lucky uh i think i have jensen yeah i have jensen oh my god i have i have impact and contracts and cloud nine as a team and cloud nine as a team was i think my first pick so i'm uh sitting happy with those members i'm so jealous i don't think i got any cloud nine members uh, Tyler, so what do you think about Cloud9? Do you think that they're going to continue their domination, or do you think TSM is going to come out swinging at the end of the season and take the win <clears throat> like they always do? Uh, I think C9 should be comfortably considered the favorites right now. Obviously, a lot can change. I think Phoenix 1, actually, of all the teams right now, I think Phoenix 1 could beat C9 right now if they played. I think those two teams on paper look the best right now, but it's a long season. TSM has Bjergsen, and Bjergsen hasn't played well this season. He's still a top 10 player, but usually Bjergsen is number one. If, and, and we haven't even seen Bjergsen at his best yet, so I'm wary about saying TSM is not going to make the finals because they always make the finals. And when you have the best player in the Western region on your team and he's playing at maybe 60% of his you know absolute potential – then I, I'm still wary about like leaving them out of the pack. But I would say right now, number one, C9, number two, Phoenix 1, and then three, TSM is my top three. Well, Jacob asked for a hot takes, so he there got go. what he wanted. There you go. Now you can be a Fiona. <laughs> I mean, do, do things seem to be going well with Wild Turtle? No. <laughs> um, I don't think it's as bad as everyone thinks. I think that – I think people had really, really low expectations for him, and – I guess it's an accolade for them that he hasn't been performing as, I mean, it's really sad saying it, but he's not performing as bad as everyone thinks. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, TSM historically, they always end up in the grand finals, even if they have a mediocre regular season, which is pretty amazing. Um, so I would, I would bet like Tyler. I would not count them out. Oh, one more, one more thing. Sure. BBQ Olivers. Oh, can right. Can we talk about how on fire BBQ Olivers is and how they're just like roasting the competition? Chicken's <laughs> awesome. Um, I yeah. too like chicken. I mean, they chicken. really ushered in the age of chicken puns, which is, it's pretty incredible. It adds a lot of zest to my editorial day to day. And it's, uh, it's getting rid of all the crappy memes on Reddit too, so I'll take it. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Thank you everyone for joining me today. Thank you, Tyler, for bringing on your insight to the show. And if you want more esports content, check out ESPN.com slash esports. Or you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Rachel Younggu. Jacob is at Jacob N. Wolf. Christina is at Pina SC. Tyler is at Fion on Fire. And Tarika, our producer, is at SheKnowsSports underscore. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.